Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Um, today we're kind of shifting gears, um, moving into something totally different. Um, today we live in this geological period of world history called the Anthropocene or the age and dominance of the human being. Historian Yuval Harari, uh, in a book that he wrote called Homo Deus, which is Latin for human God, wrote this. He said, with regard to the other animals, humans have long since become gods. We don't like to reflect on this too deeply because we have not been particularly just or merciful gods. Well, since the appearance of life on planet Earth four billion years ago or so, there's never been a single species that has changed the entire global ecology all by itself until we humans came along. Human impact on planet Earth is now listed on the same level with ice ages and tectonic movements. We humans have become this destructive force on our planet, unlike anything that has come before us. In many ways, we're reversing Genesis, neglecting God's mandate to be the Earth's caretakers and stewards. In our quest to become Homo Deus, we've lost sight of the foundational truth that the earth does not belong to us and so is not ours to destroy. So to whom does the earth belong? That is the simple question that we're posing today. We are embarking on a 10-part series on environmental or creation justice and kind of what our Christian responsibility is. This is, to be honest, like a series that I've been dreaming of doing for many, many years. I sincerely believe that the time is now for Christians to wake up to their responsibility to live in God's land the way that God would live in it as if God were us. To fail at this will have devastating consequences for today and even more dire consequences for future generations. Well, this morning, we're going to be reading the shortest preaching text ever. Just one single verse that I believe is the foundational statement for a Christian environmental ethic. And it answers the important question, to whom does the earth belong? Here we go. From Psalm 24, verse number one. Here's what it says. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it the world, and those who live in it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, not only is it the shortest text I've ever preached, but it could easily be the shortest sermon as well. Our question is answered. The earth and all that is in it belongs to God and not us. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Memorial Day weekend, and maybe we'll see you next time. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to do a little more than that. But here's a few things that I want to talk about with this verse. Psalm 24 is doxological, and that means that it is ascribing praise to God for who God is and for all 
that God has done, including the creation of the earth. The biblical word for earth, the Hebrew word here is Eretz. It's most often translated as land. So who has the right to the land? Well, our text is really, really simple. It says literally Yahweh Eretz, God's earth or God's land. It means that land, uh, that God is the land owner because God made it all. And yet, if we're really honest about this, most people do not see the land like this. Most people, in fact, see land as property, not as creation, not as the creation of any God. We see ourselves as owners and not renters. And once we push a creator God to the sidelines, then the land can be thought of as ours to do with uh, whatever, however we please. Well, even people of faith can fall victim to this kind of thinking, which is why we need this all-important reminder. Because this is where things go drastically wrong. When God is eliminated from the discussion, then the question of land is usually resolved on the basis of power without any question of legitimacy. And as we've seen over and over, this would be so easy to document historically, it would be almost a joke. We've seen this over and over again throughout our history. The control and governance of the land is a narrative of strength versus vulnerability. Walter Brueggemann, perhaps the greatest living scholar of the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, he offers a very strong critique um, about what this abuse of power in God's land has looked like. Here's what he writes. He says that the strong characteristically claim land and resources that belong to the weak. Whites, he says, since the 15th century have claimed what belonged to other races. Males have characteristically claimed what otherwise belonged to females. Western nations, he says, in the name of missionary, this one hurts, in the name of missionary colonialism, have claimed what has belonged to the non-West. And developed powers with enormous techno technological advantage have claimed what underdeveloped powers cannot defend for themselves. It's an abuse of power. This tragic story of land is the story of power and confiscation. We've seen the abuse of power play out here in our own country with our indigenous populations. The consequences have been devastating, creating a system of generational poverty for some and unimaginable wealth for others. Well, a biblical view of land ownership creates some really serious tension. I've, I've been wrestling with this tension all week. And my guess is that I've already created a little bit of tension and uneasiness for you as well. I'm feeling it, trust me. I have 22-year-old daughters who are finishing school. They're striking out on their own. And you and I both know that land produces wealth and can provide a sense of stability and security for a family. And as parents, Katie and I want our girls to be able to take care of themselves. We want them to thrive in the world. We want them to have and achieve beyond what we have. 
What parent doesn't want the very best for their kids? We've actually been talking about this quite a bit in the last couple of months, home ownership, believe it or not, land ownership, because land is one of the primary means of building wealth. Now, the tension here is that as followers of Jesus, we have other important considerations, considerations that move us beyond just the thriving of our own families. The tension here is that the Bible would also have us consider how our actions impact the planet, the other creatures that we share it with, and of course, our impact on other people, particularly the world's most vulnerable people. It forces us to ask more questions than what is just best for me or what is just best for my family. We also have to ask other questions. What does love require of the follower of Jesus Christ when it comes to how we are to live in Yahweh Eretz, God's land? How do we deal with this tension? I don't know how you deal with it. I've thought quite a bit about this this week. I wonder if a shift is needed a shift that sees our way of living in God's land as falling under the rubric of the love of God. This got me thinking. In Deuteronomy, God commanded the Israelites to keep God's commandments as a stipulation for entering into the promised land, a land, by the way, that was actually occupied by other people. Note the connection between love and land, or keeping God's commandments and entering into the promised land. Love is the way that we're instructed to live in God's land. It's in fact the requirement for living in God's land. To love God means to order the land in ways that are consistent with God's character. As we know that God's character, of course, in scripture is marked by things like mercy, grace, steadfast love, compassion, forgiveness. The way we love God and family, uh, the way we love God is firmly tied to how we love our neighbor. You might remember this in 1 John 4, where John writes this. He says, those who say I love God and hate my brother or sister, my neighbor, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. So here's a quick summary of where we are. Psalm 24.1 says the land belongs to God. The mandate is to love God in the land. And how do we do that? We love God in the land by loving our neighbor. This is a consistent biblical ethic right here. The land and its resources are for the common good, that all the living things that God has made might flourish and enjoy the fruitfulness of God's creation. In this church, we're not afraid to talk about the truth that many of us, myself included, have benefited greatly from God's creation, while so many others have not. What an opportunity we have in our families, with our kids, with our friends, 
with our church community to talk about how we might better live a life that ensures that not only our own well-being, but also the well-being of all the creatures and people um, that they might have the same opportunity to thrive in God's land that we have. Katie and I want our kids to thrive. We hope that someday they do own a home and some land. But we also know that we want them to acknowledge that first and foremost, they're citizens of God's kingdom. And with that citizenship comes responsibility and a consideration for their impact on the planet and all of the living things on this planet. This is what love requires of us. There's this sense of responsibility that comes with it. And we are in fact uh, responsible and are our brother's keeper according to scripture. Here's three biblical affirmations about the earth that are guaranteed by God. And we probably know these three things really well. The first is Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. Those who keep God's ways in the land, those who love God and neighbor, those who occupy the land as God would if God were us. Those who live their lives for the well-being of their neighbor, these folks shall inherit the earth. The second comes from the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not covet, found in Exodus. God tells us through Moses that uncurbed desire, coveting, will always distort creation and will always exploit our neighbor. Thou shalt not covet says that although things are possible, not all is permissible to God. And the third, which we know well too, taking of the land from the vulnerable is sin. Proverbs 23.10 writes, says this, it says, do not remove the ancient landmark or encroach on the fields of the orphans for their redeemer is strong. God will plead their case against you. And the scriptures say over and over that God is the redeemer of the exploited and the prosecuting attorney of the oppressor. The earth has always been extremely important to me personally. Since I was a little kid, all I've ever wanted to do is be outside in God's earth. As kids, my brother and I were pretty much lived outdoors. We weren't allowed to have an Atari, which we were always resentful of when we were little. But because we weren't allowed to have that Atari, we were always outside. All we wanted to do was be outside. We'd play in the forest across the street from our house or tromp through the paths of our neighboring farmer's cornfields. Don't tell him. Uh, we just knew that we had to be seated at the dinner table by 6 p.m. with our hands washed. So we were outside from the moment we got home from school or all weekend long. As a so-called adult, not very much has changed. Still, all I want to do with my free time is get outside in the beauty of all that God has made, hiking or biking, surfing, camping, rafting, kayaking. I don't even care what it is if it gets me outside. We even bought our home because it sits across the street from tens of thousands of acres of state and federally protected land, open space. We enjoy and benefit from this land every single day, and we know that. But I got to admit, I am deeply concerned with the direction that things are headed. Quite literally, which we're gonna be talking about in the next 10 weeks, temperatures are rising. 
we're witnessing these changes. We can see them with our naked eye. It's hotter. The wildfires here are far more severe. Our oceans are rising and I'm concerned for future generations, future generations that may never see a glacier in Glacier National Park. I'm concerned for future generations that will only experience the wonder of many animals in a museum. I'm concerned because so many millions of Christians who are supposed to be God's stewards of creation don't seem to care and have forgotten the theological and doxological view of creation. I'm concerned that we're reversing Genesis, that we're acting as an anti-creation force, destroying the very life-giving gift that we've been given for our own sustenance and even enjoyment. Christians have to reclaim the mantle of caring for all that God has made. We have to learn to live in the land the way that God would, as if God were living as us. It's a daunting, but it's not an impossible task. In fact, looking at and reading multiple scientists on this, they seem to believe and are fairly well in agreement that we actually have what it takes to turn this around, that it's not too late if we all come together. That's one of the reasons we wanted to do this series now. This is the time to come together. Over the last century, I was very surprised to learn that five generations of Rockefellers have used their family wealth to reshape America by creating open space and more than 20 of our national parks. It's been noted that cumulatively, no other family has made more of a contribution to conservation than the Rockefellers have. The irony, of course, is that this family made their vast fortune from the exploitation of a non-renewable resource, oil. This just got me thinking. And the, you know, the pursuit of oil over the last century has perhaps done more to destroy the planet than maybe any other single thing. But it really got me thinking, if this family can make that kind of a change in a transition, what kind of shifts could you and I or Lightshine make? Friends, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. This is the profound foundational truth upon which all creation and social justice is built upon. It's ours only as a gift on loan for a time given so that all living things might flourish. And I just can't help but believe if love is our guide to how we live in God's land, then maybe we still have a chance. Amen. We're gonna take